Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, hey, today's episode is one that I've been really excited about. And before we get into who the guest is, I want to talk a little bit about what we're doing this season. So if you've been listening in real time, you know that we're in the middle of a series on the seven steps of the sales process. And this is something that early, early on in the podcast, we actually did as well, where I interviewed guests who I felt like really represented one of these steps well. And we're doing the same thing again. And I wanted to take the same seven steps, but talk to a new batch of people now that some time has gone by. And I'm really excited about this. And in in today's conversation, we're actually talking with one of my best friends in the world, Matt Bradley, who he's been on this podcast before when we had our core values and, and mission episode. We also had him on last season for his hiring and inspiring Gen Z lecture. And man, if you haven't checked that episode out, it is one of the best podcast episodes we've ever released. And Matt gave this talk in New Hampshire of last year that was just on fire about what we can do to hire and inspire incoming workers that are part of Gen Z. Now, to give some background on Matt, you know, he works with me at Wi-Fire. He's the editor of the Firetime magazine. He's also the voice of the Firetime magazine, if you've ever listened to FTM audio articles. And he's also one of my best friends. I mean, me and him played music together for years. We met when we were both 18 and 19 years old. We literally shared a bedroom. We slept in vans in parking lots together. Me and Matt have been through the fire. And what's really cool about Matt's story is that He went to school and became a teacher, and he was a teacher for a decade. He taught high school English, and as Matt transitioned out of that job into working at Wi-Fi, there's so many valuable things that he has been able to bring with him that were picked up during teaching, and one of those is understanding your audience. Now, in today's episode, we are talking about step two of our sales process, which is understand the customer's problem. And just to give a little bit of context on the seven steps, the way that they work from start to finish is step one, greet the customer. Step two, understand their problem. Step three, advise a solution. Step four, explain the process. Step five, call to action. Step six, pursue the opportunity. And step seven, show gratitude. So with all those steps in mind, today's step is understand the customer's problem. And this is something that I've seen Matt do better than, I mean, I think, I think anybody else I know. He is so good at getting to the heart of the problem. And I wanted to bring him on to talk about it. And, and as you'll hear him say, like Matt, in many ways, has not thought of himself as a natural salesperson. And for a long time, he actually kind of bristled at that, but it's something that he's grown into and I have, I have just seen him become such an incredible salesperson that can listen to the problems people have and help them find a solution. And at, at the end of the day, you know, sales is about exactly that. It's about helping people who have a problem solve that problem. And, and this is a step that many people in our industry miss. So with that said, I'm going to let you hear this conversation. I definitely have some thoughts to share on the back end, but for now, get out a pen and paper because it's worth taking notes on this one. 
Joining me from Redmond, Oregon, is the partnership manager of Wi-Fire and the editor of the Firetime Magazine. I'm here today with Matt Bradley. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tim. How are you? I'm good. You know, it's funny kind of talking to you formally like this because we literally talk like no exaggeration probably 12 times a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right before this, you were playing me a guitar solo of an old song of yours you're trying to relearn. So, um, yeah, having a, having a formal conversation seems a bit weird, but uh, I always <laughs> enjoy these talks. So thanks for having me here. Yeah, man. You know, I, I have to say too, this is your third time on the podcast, but the second time wasn't actually you. It was, it was playing the recording of the, the Gen Z course that you did in New Hampshire last year. And I'm not joking, man. Like I've gotten so much feedback on that episode and people have just been blown away by it. So yeah, thanks for delivering so much value. Yeah, of course. Thanks for the kind feedback. It's been cool too. I've had a couple of people reach out to me and it's just rad because that content um, really was appreciated by high school students and to see it appreciated by adults, I think just speaks to the fact that it's timeless. And as I said in that that class, you know, the content speaks for itself. It's always a good idea to have fortitude. It's appealing to virtually everyone at every time because it's just <laughs> a useful a useful virtue to have. And so it's cool to see it um, transcend its original context and make an impact in a totally different industry with a totally different age groups. So it's been fun. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So I want to talk to you about sales and to, to give this a preface, you know, I know you were nervous about coming on to talk about sales, but I truly believe that you are an incredible salesperson. And I would love to have you give a little bit of background into the first time you had to sell something. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think even to take a step further back, the reason I don't consider myself a salesman is that for years when I would teach classes afterwards, my students would come up to me and say, man, you'd, you'd make a great salesman. And I'm not kidding. I must have got that comment about, you know, 50 times over the decade that I was teaching. And my standard response was always the same. It was, I'd make a terrible salesman. And I always really believed that was true because in my mind, I had this vision of a, a salesman or a salesperson being someone who was kind of sneaky, who was out to get me, who was really just looking out for a paycheck and didn't really care about me, but was just trying to sell something. And I realize now that that was just an ugly stereotype, to be honest, and that even though those people definitely do exist, there's a ton of people out there who are legitimately trying to help people solve their problems and help customers solve problems. And the reason that I learned that was through you know working with you, um, and I, I sincerely mean that, you know, when you look at the, at the sales process that you put together, understanding the customer's problem is key. And I think that there's a genuine heart of service there. And once you understand the customer's problem, then you can advise a solution that actually solves the problem. And all of a sudden, being a, a salesman or a salesperson generally isn't something slimy or sneaky. It's something that's actually benefiting someone else and performing an act of service. So before I, I tried to make my first sale with Wi-Fi, I had already had that context in mind and I had made that intellectual shift. And so from the get-go, it was super important for me every single time I'm selling something uh, to first understand the customer's problem because that was the key shift in my mind from thinking about sales as something, again, I, I don't mean this in a mean way, but it's true, shifting from thinking about it as something slimy or sneaky to an act of service. And so from the very first time I ever tried to sell something, I always kept that idea of sales as a service and the way I'm serving my customer is trying to understand a problem so that I can fix it. Because if I can do that, what I'm selling is genuinely beneficial. So the first time I applied that was at a, uh, a fair um, with 
one of our partners, Wi-Fi partners called DMB Supply. Uh, the company has a, a series of stores all throughout Idaho and a little bit in Oregon as well. And we were at a, a fair in Boise, Idaho. And yeah, it just every single time a, a customer would come up and start looking at a stove, uh, you know, after making introductory small talk and introducing myself, the, the question would eventually arise, you know, so are, are you interested in getting a fireplace or do you already have one? And once I knew that information, then it was just, oh, cool. So why are you thinking about something new or why are you thinking about something different? You know, what's the, what's the problem you're encountering that you're trying to overcome? And I would literally sometimes say it exactly like that. Sometimes the question would be phrased a little bit differently. But every single time I would work that question in after getting to know the, the person or people I was conversing with. And I just found that once I did that, sales became something that was really fun because I was helping people um, and helping to solve their problems. So I guess that's how it applied to the very first situation, which was again at this uh, fair for DMB. And that pattern has continued into not just selling you know, stoves at the fair, but then also selling Wi-Fi to different people across the, the country as well. Yeah, you know, I, I think I'll never forget watching you at that fair because at the time, I mean, in some ways I kind of set you up to fail because I remember that you had asked for training on fireplaces and I was like, no, we're not training you on anything. You've got to yeah, use I still think st- that's kind of rude. <laughs> no, I'm not going to lie there, but that's all right. That's all right. You got to use the software because we're going to see if this software can help somebody on day one actually help somebody. And so you had so many things stacked against you for that, but I'll just never forget the way that like people would come to you and be like, Hey, do you guys got wood stoves here? And you would just kind of deflect it and say, Oh yeah, we do. And there's a lot of different kinds of wood stoves. Can I ask you a little bit about your project just to understand what, what kind of a stove might be good for you? And like literally everybody responded and they would tell you all about their project. And I think salespeople are afraid to, to do that, but like people will respond to you, right? When you ask them genuine questions about what they have going on. Yeah. I think if uh, you can pose the question in a way that's natural and it fits in with the conversation up to that point, it's a no brainer because it's the way that you're showing the customer that you actually care about the problem that, that now the two of you are trying to solve. And once you do that, the customer's guard tends to go down a little bit. The conversation tends to open up a little bit. And all of a sudden, again, sales becomes a, an act of service. And it's something that's that's fun because it's beneficial for uh, the, the customer. So, yeah, I mean, and again, I learned all that from you. And I think it's just such a simple and great tactic that totally shifted my mindset and has affected every sale I've ever made or, or attempted to make. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, again, you know, in the journey that we've had together. So we had that first experience in Idaho where you were you're pretty new at Wi-Fi. I mean, we'd, we'd worked together in a part-time capacity for a while, but you were newer as a, as a full-time team member. And then about, I don't know when it was, maybe nine months later or so, we had to go to Florida. And originally you weren't planning on going. We had a team member go down at the last second, like literally like three days before the event, pretty much. It was like, man, you and your whole family and your mother-in-law got to jump on a plane and we got to go to Florida because like we we have to sign some people up. Like our company depends on it, you know? And, and I think for both of us, that was a time of like, just kind of like living by faith and just trusting that what we're doing you know, is, is hopefully going to resonate with people and, uh, and kind of putting it out there. But in that environment too, I saw you do the same thing applied differently though. Like now you're talking to folks who own hearth businesses that are looking to solve different problems. And I just saw you again and again when they would say, Hey, so like, tell me about this software. 
And almost always you would say, oh, well, hey, the software does quite a few things, but I'd love to learn a little bit about your business to make sure that I can show you things that would be relevant to you. And like, I don't know, man, it just, it blew me away how natural that was for you. Cause I don't see that with many people. Yeah, it's really kind. I think one of the reasons that it, it was so natural is, as I said, it, it had to do with my mindset shift, right? But the second reason was that I quickly learned once I started working for Wi-Fi and um, selling the software that if you try and explain everything it can do to a person, it's just way too much. It goes back to the metaphor that you talk about a lot from Donald Miller of handing people bowling balls. And when I would first start, you know, there was always a temptation to kind of hand uh, a potential customer 15 or 20 different bowling balls, but it was just too much information. So simply by starting with the statement, oh, that that's so great that you want to improve your sales process. And I think we have a bunch of tools that could probably help you, but just to make sure and and just to make sure I'm using your time wisely, could you help me understand what are some of the pinch points or problems as you're selling fireplaces? Could you tell me a little bit about that? Is it um, estimate time is slow, follow-up needs improvement, You know, managing a sales team? What is it that, that uh, gives you trouble? And then just genuinely listening to that and then shaping you know, how you show the product, whether it's a fireplace or, or a software service, um, to the customer based off that. And I've had several situations too where people have said, this is my problem. This is the biggest problem. And the honest answer is I can't help them with that particular problem. And so I've said, you know what? Honestly, this probably isn't the right fit for you. Um, it does a bunch of great stuff, but it's not going to help with the particular problem that you have. And so I think that too of being comfortable and confident and genuinely having the best interest of the customer at heart, it just frees me up to be natural because yeah. I'm genuinely just trying to solve their problems. And if I can't solve their problems, then I'm very content and happy to say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the solution. Maybe Tim knows someone who does, or maybe there's a different software we could look into, or maybe this article from the Firetime Magazine or something could help you instead. Um, so I think I think that's one of the reasons it, it feels uh, natural as well. Yeah, I, I think that many people are afraid if I don't sell this fireplace to this customer, I may not have another customer come to me again. And I just think that that mindset is wrong, that part of the understanding phase is you're understanding their problem. You're understanding, are you able to provide a solution, right? You know, I mean, I can try to sell a wood stove to anybody. You know, I could try to sell Wi-Fi to anybody. But in reality, if it's not going to solve their problem, or if something as they're explaining what's going on to me, makes me realize I just don't think this is a good fit. It's so much better that we find that out now and maybe go separate ways or recommend a different service than for me to not find that out and try to sell them something that then it gets contentious or there's problems. And so it's almost like as you take the time to understand the customer's problem, you're also finding out, is this a good customer for us where it's going to be a win-win relationship? Yeah, for sure. And I think the the flip side of that too is that you're building empathy for the customer, right? In my role, for example, when I hear stories of people going in on Saturday or Sunday morning to write 25 estimates after you know a hard week of work, that's just a bummer. And so it creates a huge amount of empathy between you and the person you're trying to serve. I, I think that's a piece of it too. You know, certainly we're looking for 
is this customer a good fit for what we offer? But also we're trying to build empathy and understanding. And that's where listening comes in. And by understanding the customer's problem, we're definitely doing that, Um, which again, goes back to viewing your customers as individual human people with problems and hopes and uh, desires. And how can what you sell help them get there uh, to those hopes and desires and overcome those problems? And if it can't, then just being honest about that and saying, you know what, I don't think this is really worth your money. I don't think this is going to help you solve the particular problem you're looking into. Having that kind of confidence and sincerity, I think, goes a long way, even if you're new to the sales game. Yeah. One, one thing I think that you do really well just in general, I think that you tend to understand people. And and we've talked about this before. There's, there's certain kinds of people that I seem to do well with. There's certain kinds of people that you seem to do well with. But I feel like I've just, as I've worked with you, I see you being able to have empathy and put yourself in the shoes of so many different kinds of people. And I feel like that has to go back to teaching. And I'm just curious, like in the teacher-student relationship, when you were an English teacher, how does making a student feel understood change the relationship to become one of trust versus when a student is apprehensive of who's this teacher telling me how to live my life and what to think? Yeah, I think that the main thing that people want to know when you're trying to teach them is if you care about them and if you care about what you're teaching. If you've got those two things dialed in, if you could convey that you genuinely care about the people in the room and you genuinely care about the content that you're trying to convey, then all of a sudden teaching gets so much easier because your students start to understand that the reason you're teaching the content is it benefits them where they're at and where they aspire to be. And I think that translates into sales really well as well, because if I'm passionate about um, the people I'm serving as I am, and I also am passionate about the software that solves their problems, which I am, then being able to convey that and adapt it and showcase it becomes a lot easier. So I think that's that's it. You know, you've got to care about the people and you've got to care about the content when you're teaching, you know, when you're selling something, you've got to care about your customers and you've got to care about what you're selling. If you have that combination and it's, it's genuine, then I think that it makes it so much easier to clearly convey how, you know, what you're selling will help solve the problems or to confidently say, as I've already stated, Hey, actually, I don't think this would do the trick for you, but you know what? I heard of this other thing that could do the trick or, this other thing actually solves the problem in a way more streamlined way. Like, and it's cheaper, it's more effective. Like, you should probably just do that instead. Having those sorts of conversations, it requires a confidence in the product and in yeah. the company itself. So, yeah, I, I feel like it, it buys you so much credibility to be able to say, like, I could try to sell you something, but I don't think this is the best fit. So, I'm going to recommend this less expensive option or this this service from somebody else or like you said like this article in the magazine i think you should just read this article and apply it i think that that gives you a level of credibility that is huge and i I think about a situation this actually happened to me like maybe a year and a half ago it was a situation where i was i was uh helping somebody out with with something in their business and it was just something that they just, they needed help and they hit me up. So I was just, I was just helping them with it and they weren't signed up for Wi-Fi at the time. And I got, I got wind that somebody told this person, like, watch out, like Tim's going to try to sell you something. And as soon as I caught wind of that, it just like, it like sparked the, the rebel in my mind where I'm like, 
screw you. I'm not going to sell them anything. I'm going to give them so much value for free. And like, they're never going to buy anything from me, but it just like sparked that in me. And I don't know why I, I share that story, but just simply to say, like, I think that when you can go into something with the mentality of like, I want to serve you. And even if that means you don't buy anything from me, I want to serve you. I just think it gives you credibility that in the long term will help in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And again, totally see how that goes back to teaching because that's the reason you teach young people things is to serve them. You're you're trying to help them improve their lives, um, certainly professionally down the road. Uh, But in my classroom, it was more about personally developing virtue and, and, you know, growing in our capacity to empathize and think clearly and articulate thoughts clearly. So, I think that does go back to the classroom a lot. And if you can show your customers that you're genuinely looking out for them, both as you're making the sale and afterward, um, I think it does definitely go a long way. And again, it just shifts the whole mindset from maybe sales being a chore or a game even to being a service. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, like, like the golden rule. We talk about it. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And, you know, you hear that a lot and it can sound trite sometimes. And I think that people can can also like misapply that. But I've really been thinking about this a lot, even just in the last two weeks, about a couple different sales situations that like both me and you have been a part of. And I've really tried to think, okay, let's forget about everything that would benefit our company. Like if I was them, what would I want? Like what would I want to pay? What benefit would I want it to give me? What would I want it to do? And it, and I may not be able to do all those things, but I feel like that's the mindset I got to start from. I got to think about like, how would they want to be treated? And if I can then position my product and my service to treat them the way that they would want to be treated, it's probably going to be a really good fit versus saying, well, our product does this, this, and this. And so you need to want this, this, and this. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. And I think the golden rule principle, again, not only applies when you're making the sale, because all of us have probably been in a situation where we were sold something we really didn't want or regret afterwards. So we want to avoid that either by genuinely solving the customer's problem or by advising a solution that doesn't have anything to do with our company. And then afterward as well, constantly asking that question of the golden rule. You know, we we have a subscription-based service, so uh, it's not like our partners just buy Wi-Fi once and then it's done, you know, it's a, it's a monthly interaction. And so just continually asking that question after the sale uh, as well, I think is, is so important. And that's one of the things I really like about our model is I feel like every month we have to uh, sell Wi-Fi again and again and again and again. And so it constantly keeps positive pressure on us to be yeah. making improvements and listening to people and, and thinking about, well, what if I was in front of a customer and Wi-Fi had broken this way or given this wrong number or whatever it might be, you know, when you can start to empathize with people and inhabit their situation, it not only uh, makes the software better, but it also makes you better at selling the software month after month because it helps you understand where these people are really coming from and then puts you in a position to, you know, constantly make it uh, the software where better. So, I think that that's, yeah, we, the golden rule not only applies during the initial sale, but in the the continuous sale that happens afterwards with making sure people are happy. Yeah. And again, with most of the people who listen to this, it might be a little bit different, but man, if you you offer service at your company, th- that's just the same principle, right? 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know, when you're performing services to the appliances that they bought from you. And that's that continuous sales pattern as well. So I do think it applies to the industry at large, even though our um, little slice of the pie is, is a little different than most. We'll get back to our conversation with Matt Bradley in just one second. Hey, if you have been listening to this conversation with Matt Bradley and you've been hearing us talk about the Firetime magazine, but you have not checked it out yet, well, you got to change that right now. You know, for a long time, we had the weekly Firetime podcast, but we wanted to be able to give voice to other people in the industry, and that caused us to start producing the Firetime magazine. Now, the Firetime magazine is a digital magazine that comes out totally free every single month. And and no joke, there are so many articles written by experts from all around the country that are just incredible. And I find myself reading it and listening to it every single month and, and just being better for it because I grow as I read and listen to this content. Now, there's a few ways to get the magazine. You can go to your app store and download it. Just search for the Firetime Magazine app and you'll be notified every month when a new issue comes out. What you can also do is subscribe to our sister podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, type in the Firetime Magazine podcast. And every single month when a new issue comes out, we release the majority of the articles in audio article format read by Matt Bradley. And man, it's good. So if you want to grow yourself and your team, if you've got people at your company that you want to inspire, you don't know how to get them engaged, have them start listening to the Firetime Magazine. And I guarantee that you won't regret it. So one thing I'm curious of from the sales experience you've had, and by this time, like, I mean, you've had a lot of sales experience now and, you know, you are one of the primary people that sells Wi-Fi because you, you've been able to, you know, grow into that and have a ton of success with it. But like, based on all your sales experience, how long does it take to understand a customer's problem? Say you're in a trade show environment or, you know, I mean, even from your experience, someone walks into the fair booth, like, how long does it take? I think that's such a great question. I do think that in, in live situations, like at an expo or a fair or something like that, the time gets compressed a little bit simply because there's a buzz and an excitement uh, about so many people being in person. And I mean that both I'm excited and the, the customer tends to be excited as well. So I would say, you know, in that situation, if it's five to seven minutes, I'd say that's about average. If it's less than five minutes, I haven't listened enough. I haven't asked enough follow-up questions. Yeah. But a lot of these people only have a half hour total to give to to this one, you know, demo or whatever it might be. So I'd say, yeah, about about a third of the time I want to take, you know, with introduction, you know, two to three minutes and then understand the problem about seven minutes or so. So that 10 minutes is uh, front loaded and it's about a third of the time. So it's a little bit faster. When I'm doing demos digitally, uh, man, I, we can I can sit for an hour or two with people, um, you know, talking through different problems that they're having with their sales process, with new team members, or whatever it might be. And that's not an exaggeration. Sometimes you know it'll be a full hour just working through. Okay, tell me about this problem and that problem, and then. As you're making the sale, what are the different steps you're going through? And just gathering information, again, all out of genuine interest. So I would say it depends on the context, but it can range anywhere from five minutes to an hour. 
um, you know, more compressed if it's in person at these big events where there's a lot of energy and people are looking to get things done and have a lot going on. But if you're on a casual Zoom call on a on a Tuesday morning and both of you have a cup of coffee, yeah, talking talking for an hour about the problems these people are facing is not un- uncommon. Yeah, I agree. And and I think, I mean, even in a showroom situation, I, I think that five to 15 minutes is very, very normal to spend doing this. I mean, I'm just imagining if me and Jessica go into a fireplace store, or if you and Emily walk into a fireplace store, you, and you've never been there, like you're in a situation, you're me getting a new fireplace here, right? You know, you walk into a store and and the the person that's working it has no idea about your home. They've never been inside of it, you know? And so for them to say, oh man, that's great that you're in here. Well, yeah, Matt and Emily, if, you, if you'd like, why don't you have a seat? I'd love to just learn a little bit more about the project just to understand what you have going on and, and see if we can find some fireplaces that would be a good fit. Like, would you mind having a seat here? It's the most natural thing in the world. And as long as they ask good questions, I mean, that's a five to 15 minute conversation. Yeah, and I think it connects back to something that I was saying earlier about Wi-Fi. One of the reasons that I was so insistent on finding out the problems my customers we're facing was that there are so many things Wi-Fi does that if I try to explain everything, it will once be overwhelming. And I know you've said this many times, but I think it's worth repeating that the exact same thing is true with fireplaces. As someone who's been in the industry now two years, comes from a totally different world, looking at the sheer number of fronts on some fireplaces is overwhelming, let alone different products. And so the best way to eliminate that confusion for your customer is to understand the problem first. So if you understand the problem, there's going to be a limited set of products you're going to want to show that customer. Just like if I understand the problem, I'm not going to show them every single Wi-Fi tool. I'm going to show them the three tools that are going to solve the problems that they brought up. So I think that that's really crucial. And taking that time, you know, it's the old TR saying, right? Slow is fast. Yep. Take that time initially, front load that conversation, make sure you fully understand what the customer is looking for, what the customer is hoping for, the problems the customer is encountering. And the process of the sale then again, becomes a service that is focused on the products that will genuinely solve the customer's problem. Yeah. <laughs> that was on the East Coast, secret shopping. And I had I had a sales interaction where the guy asked me virtually no questions about my project. And we're looking at we're looking at gas inserts. And he made this comment where he's like, oh yeah, and this is this is this model and it does this, this, and this. And I mean, I don't know if you're into contemporary, but they make it in a contemporary option. And in my head, I'm thinking, you could have asked me if I was into contemporary. Like, you don't just have to say, yeah. well, I don't know if you're into this and I guess we'll never figure it out. But if you were, you know, it does get <laughs> it's like, dude, you could have just asked me. Yeah. Yeah. What design style is your home? That's yeah. a, that's a, it seems like a good question to ask someone when you're trying to understand, especially if the person says, ah, my old, my old fireplace is ugly. Okay, good. What design style is your home? Do you, you know? Do you have any pictures of it that you could show me? Oh, cool. So you'd want the fireplace to more match this vibe that you have going on here. You know, those sorts of things can go a long way. And again, just focusing the number of products you're showing. Right. I think this is Donna Miller too. If you confuse, you lose. That's right. You know, you show someone twenty different fireplaces with a total of five hundred and ten different fronts and two hundred log sets. Yep. You know, that's just yep. too much. That's just yeah. too much. And really it's it's a sign that you're not paying attention to the problem. Yeah. Okay, dude, this is so good. I wasn't even thinking about this until you you went here, but so I think that for anyone listening, you sell a million things. There's a million things you sell. If you're if you're a retailer, 
there's a ton of options that you have, a ton of decorative fronts, a, a ton of fireplaces, right? For us selling Wi-Fi, there's a million things and tools that it has to try to help people. If you're a manufacturer's rep, you have an entire product line. So I remember a conversation that I had with a manufacturer's rep. This is like probably five or six years ago. And he took me aside and kind of started chewing me out because we didn't have enough of their stuff on our showroom floor. And I asked him, I was like, well, you know, we, we grew our sales with you like 25% last year and we've got, you know, a, a few units on display. What, what emphasis of your product line do you want us to push into that we're not pushing into? And he goes, oh, all of it. And I'm just thinking like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Like I can't, I can't focus on everything. And I think that goes back to like, when you don't understand the customer's problem, you don't know what to tell them to focus on. So you have to say, focus on everything. Um, hey, we sell this brand. Let's get you one of these and one of these and one of these and one of these on the floor versus saying, hey, Mr. Retailer, I understand that you've got these product lines and this is your main one, this is your second, and this is your third. Now, there's an opening that I think I can fill with this product that's not being captured by anything else that you have. And I think that there's some money and customers you're leaving on the table. Would it be okay if we started on this and focused on it? And if you gain traction with it, I think there's some other problems we could solve for you. Like to me, that is such a great way to start a relationship because you're coming alongside the person. And instead of, you know, handing them 15 bowling balls, you're giving them one. And it's like the Jim Collins thing of fire bullets, not cannonballs. Like let's go slow and then we can start to build steam versus the other way around. Yeah, it all comes back to focusing on what matters most, right? I mean, and I do think, again, this goes back to teaching and, and writing. Um, so often, newer writing teachers, when they have students, what they'll do is they'll get a student's paper and read it, and they'll immediately start marking up every single punctuation error or every single spelling error or every single capitalization error. And that's super tempting because it makes the teacher feel powerful and intelligent. And the reality is those things are important, but they're not as important as if the paper has a main idea, right? They're not as important as if there's a clear cogent thesis statement that brings everything together and ties all the concepts together and addresses your audience and, and achieves your purpose. But the thing is, it's actually harder to comment on the thesis statement. It's harder to comment on the content. It's harder to draw what the real problem is. And so people, who, especially newer teachers, We'll just instantly start marking up the paper. Well, what happens? The student feels totally overwhelmed and just goes and makes the cor corrections, but has become no better at writing. And I feel like sometimes the same thing can happen in sales. You know, and you talk about this all the time. Sometimes in our industry, salespeople just vomit information on on customers about BTUs and IPI systems and whatever it might be. That's like marking up the paper in red ink with every little punctuation error. But it's not actually getting to the heart of the problem, which is even if this paper is perfectly punctuated, it has no central idea. Yeah. No central idea. That's the real problem, right? So it's the same thing when you're making a sale. You know, it, it, it might be tempting to, you know, hone in on all the little uh, details of the sale you're trying to make. But the reality is, if you're not getting to the heart of the customer's problem, the customer is not going to be getting a product that's going to solve the problem and therefore is not going to be getting a product that really benefits the person. So I think that's that's really what it all comes back to is focusing on what matters most. And that entails asking good questions to help un uncover the problem and then repeating back. Okay, so this is what I'm hearing. These are your most frustrating points. Is that accurate? And then 
pinpointing, okay, based on that, this is the number one thing that I would recommend for you, right? And again, that definitely applies to, to Wi-Fi because there's so many different tools and it's tempting to just show them all, right? But then I'm just marking up the paper in red. But what I really want to do is say, okay, based on what you said, your biggest problem is you have a pretty high turnover rate and it's really hard to train new salespeople. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, cool. Well, here's the tool I think could help you do that. And you can see, here's exactly how it would help you. Does that make sense how that would help you solve that problem? Yes, it does. Now you're getting to the heart of it. But I'm not getting into you know automated emails. I'm not getting into automated deposits. And I'm not getting into the sales dashboard. And I'm not getting into this, that, or the other. I'm just staying focused on the one tool that's going to help these people learn to sell fireplaces. Um, so yeah, I think learning to focus on what matters most comes from teaching. It comes from teaching writing because you got to put first things first. Um, and it's definitely translated well in, into sales just by keeping things simple and focusing on first things first. That's really good. To close us out, th- this may not have anything to do with what we've talked about, but I've, I've thought about it a lot and I think it's a really, really good concept. So you've talked about this idea of how in a customer journey, it's okay for there to be a plot twist, but it has to be a part of the same story. You can't ask the customer to change stories. And I'd love just to hear you kind of talk about that. Yeah. I think when I originally said that I was getting my trees trimmed outside. And uh, the first time that I called the tree trimming office, the lady I talked to, um, I mentioned that I wanted one tree fully trimmed and the other one I wanted looked at because uh, it was kind of getting close to my house and I wasn't sure if if it was safe. So when the uh, estimator came out to the house, all he had in his notes was that I wanted my tree trimmed. There was nothing about you know the tree that needed to be looked at. And so then when he was on site, he looked at it and he ended up giving us a bid to trim both trees essentially. But when finally the team got out here to trim the trees, there were no notes at all uh, about the conversation about the second tree, only the first tree that needed to be dealt with. And as the customer, I felt super confused because I had had this conversation several times with different people on the team, and it just felt like it it never carried over. If the final team had gotten here and said, hey, we see in the notes that the estimator thought that your uh, tree against the house needed to be trimmed. And while that's true, it's actually just this one limb that needs to come down. So it's just going to be a quick job and it's going to be free. We won't even charge you for it. Or if the team had said, oh, I see that the estimator said this was going to be a quick and simple job. So it was a small charge, but man, this tree is actually really dangerous. We're going to have to do a major uh, trim on it. It's actually going to be significantly more expensive. And um, you know, I'm sorry that he didn't catch it before. That would be fine. But what happened was there were huge holes in the plot, by which I mean, uh, you know, the first lady had some information that didn't get transmitted to the second guy, the estimator, which then didn't get transmitted to the people who actually came out to my house to do the work. And so as a result, it felt like I was getting three totally different stories from three totally different people. As a customer, I found that super disorienting. And honestly, it made me not trust the company as much because. I felt like, you know, all the information I had provided wasn't really being heard and listened to and my problem wasn't really being understood. And so I didn't know if the final project was going to satisfy the needs that I had and and solve my problems. Now, luckily it did, but honestly, it took about a half hour of explaining when the team was here to actually make it happen. 
I was super busy that day. It was stressful because I got kids and they wanted to see the team trimming up the trees. And so I'm trying to have this conversation. And honestly, the guys on the team were kind of frustrated because they didn't know that they had to trim two trees. They thought they were only trimming one tree, so on and so forth. So all that to say, I think that one of the, the key things that Tim and Grant talk about a lot and other people in the Firetime Network talk about a lot is just the passing of the baton. And as a salesperson, you got to uh, keep in mind that, you know, especially if you're working with a team of people to get a product installed, like we are in this industry, man, that baton pass has got to be smooth. And that's definitely a part of sales because once you understand the customer's problem, once you've repeated back to them, once you've presented solutions and, and showed them how it will solve it, then if you've got to pass it to somebody else to bring that solution to fruition, the pass has to be seamless because the customer doesn't want to go through the whole story again. The customer doesn't want a big hole in the plot. Now, it's okay if if your team gets out there and finds out at the house that, okay, this is, was our original plan, as our salesperson told you. Now we've got to switch the plan. That's okay. But to say, I never got that information at all. Man, that is That's right. not effective. That is not an effective way to sell products and services to people. And so that's, I, I think, what I was getting at when I when I said that. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really good, that we need to understand the customer's problem on the showroom floor, and then we need to be able to pass that to the next person, the, the person that's going out to the home for the estimate. Pass it to the installers when they're going out there. Because like, there's so much confidence if the installers can reiterate your problem and show that they understand it before they start the work that day. It's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Matt, this has been really, really good. I think like, you know, my takeaway as I've seen you do this is like, as we take the time, like everything in us wants to jump to, to solution, right? Hey, uh, I'm in for a wood stove. Tell me about your wood stoves. And we just want to jump in. Oh my gosh. Well, we got all these wood stoves. We have this brand, this brand, this brand. They do these great things in the same way. We want to do that with Wi-Fi. Oh my gosh. Wi-Fi is so great. It does this, this, and this. And we want to do that because we're excited and we're passionate about it. But we, we can't, we can't take that bait. When someone says, hey, can you tell me about your product? We got to stop and say, oh yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, our, our product does, does a lot of really cool things. If it's okay, I'd love just to hear a little bit about what you have going on to make sure that, that what I show you is going to be relevant to your situation. And, and that opens up the opportunity to understand and build relationship. Because like, this is what I've seen from you is that as you take the time to understand, you can't help but build relationship. Like you can't help but do it. I feel like we've seen some very hardened people soften incredibly as in particular you have taken the time to understand what's going on in their lives yeah i think that's true and i think another advantage is that it takes the pressure off um you know i think going back to why why have i picked up on this technique so much we've already talked about a bunch of reasons why but a final one that i guess i'd like to say is it kind of it takes the pressure off so because i came from a totally different context you know i was really nervous initially to sell but one of the things i learned as a teacher is that standing up in front of the room and giving a lecture for 45 minutes is a heck of a lot harder and there's a lot more pressure than if you're facilitating a class discussion based on some awesome questions. And so when I got into sales, I just realized like, oh, I don't have to know every single thing about every single wood stove, which would take me years and years to learn. What I need to know is how to facilitate a conversation where the customer explains the problem to me and then I use the knowledge that I have to advise a solution that I think would solve solve the problem. And again, it's the exact same with the software, right? Now, at this point, two years in, I'm real familiar with it. But when I started, I mean, there were so many things I didn't know about it. And initially, I felt this pressure to know every single thing about it. But then I just realized, oh, I don't have to do that. 
what I have to do is ask some good questions to understand what customers need and then advise a solution based on the big picture solutions that I do know that we offer. So I think that's another benefit to it as well, especially for newer salespeople like myself. It can be a really great way to take the pressure off because it, it, you know, you're not giving that 45-minute lecture uh, in front of the whole class. You're asking a question and sitting back and listening to the conversation. And that's a lot more comfortable and there's a lot less pressure there. And, and you're getting to know the person genuinely. And that relieves pressure as well, right? The, the better you know people, uh, the less pressure you feel initially. And it doesn't mean you don't want to do a great job. In fact, the better you know people often, the better job you want to do. Yeah. But because now it's a human interaction, it's just not as nerve-wracking, I guess. And again, if you're newer to sales as I am, um, you know, it was definitely nerve-wracking until I kind of realized like, oh, I just got to ask the, these questions, actually listen, give genuine responses, and then be confident to say, Hey, I think this would really solve your problem. What do you think? Or say, you know what, man, I don't think what we sell is going to solve your problem. Uh, but here's another resource I know about, or let me connect you with someone who I think can help you. Um, yeah. So I think that's a final thing is that that in, in addition to all the benefits I've already discussed of focusing on the customer's problem and how to solve it, the last one I would say is it just relieves pressure. You know. Yeah, that's really good. So okay. Matt, as we round out, you are the voice of the Firetime magazine. How often does it happen where you're talking to someone at an event and they go, wait a minute, your voice sounds so familiar. Are you, are you the Matt Bradley from the Firetime magazine? I'd say it, uh, <laughs> it happens, but not as often as you'd think because my, my reading voice is different than my, just my speaking voice. I'm sure that everyone listening... Give has, us, give us some that. Firetime magazine, Matt Bradley. Don't shine. Illuminate by tim reed something like that uh yeah it's a little deeper it's a little more deliberate the pronunciation i hope is a little crisper it's a little bit slower though i i'm always working on that because i talk very fast so it does happen that people recognize it but uh not as often as you might as you might think after i say oh yeah i do all the audio articles too a lot of times people will say oh that's you you know (laughs) um but it's kind of like when people hear music from the terrible band I was in and, you know, I'm, I'm the singer. It's like, yeah, that's my voice. But, it, you know, it's, it's, the, it's a rock and roll voice. So it's different than just my normal conversational voice. Well, Matt is the voice of an angel. And uh, we hope to get you out of retirement sooner rather than later. Well, thank you, Tim. Anyway, man, thanks for being here. I love talking with you. Appreciate your friendship. And uh, I love working with you, man. So thanks. Yeah, of course. Thanks for thanks for having me. And uh, any anytime you, you want me to come back, you let me know. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> cool. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Matt Bradley. There's so much to take away. You know, I mean, like I said, Matt Matt is one of my best friends in the world, and we talk. I mean, like we're joking about it. It's kind of funny talking in that formal context because we literally talk. I mean at least 12 times a day. I mean, on Zoom, on the phone, via texting. And and no joke, when we started the Zoom call, I literally had my guitar out and I was riffing on a solo to uh, to show him because we have, we have a history of playing a lot of music together. But he's someone that I have just come to to really trust his counsel. I believe like Matt is the conscience of our company. He, he really, really is. And I think it goes to his heart of understanding that when we think about it, if we genuinely care about someone, We'll ask him questions. Well, can you tell me what's going on? I don't want to recommend you buy something that's not a good fit. So 
if it's okay, I'd, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your project. I'd love to hear a little bit about your sales process. And it does so many things. I mean, it connects us to the customer. It starts to disarm fear and insecurity that they have about us as salespeople. And it really sets us up for step three of the sales process, which is advising a solution. You know, when it, when it comes to this part of the sales process, I, you know, I, I've heard people talk about this as like, this is the customer interview or we have to do our, our discovery. And, and those words, I mean, they're fine if, if, if they're helpful to you. But the reason I like understanding is because I can't advise unless I understand And when people walk into your store, you know, they don't want to be discovered by a salesperson, but they do want to be understood. People want to be understood. And I mean, even bigger picture, like, I think that's why there's, there's a lot of problems in the world from people that don't understand each other. And when we can show empathy and say, Hey, I understand that, that you have a problem that's going on. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Cause I think I can help you solve it. It's amazing what that does. Now I'll tell you this, this is the hardest step in the sales process. It's the hardest step because it takes the focus off of you and what you know, and it makes you ask questions about what you don't know. It makes you ask questions about what you don't know. You might know everything in the world about fireplaces, but you've never been to their house. So you no longer are the arbiter of knowing everything. You're genuinely putting yourself at their feet and saying, there's things that you know that I don't know. Is it okay if I ask you about that? And and I think it requires a posture of, of humility to do it well. I'll tell you that I've had many people bristle at this part of the sales process and say, well, you know, my customers are too busy. They'll never answer five to 15 minutes worth of questions for my team. And, and I, I would just humbly say to you, then you're doing it wrong. Like if, if you present yourself as kind and caring, they will. Customers will answer these questions. Now, as a best practice, I would literally encourage you on your showroom floor, write these questions out, pre-script them, put them on a clipboard, put them on your computer, use a software program, whatever it takes, pre-script these questions. And some of us folks will say, no, my team's not a robot. There's no, there's no way we can do that. And here's what I found for me. Like I'm, I'm almost 20 years into the industry. And if I'm working a showroom floor, I will not do it unless I have my laptop or unless I have a clipboard with pre-written questions. Because when I have those questions in front of me, I don't have to remember what to ask next. I can focus on listening to the customer and what they say. And you know what? I'll absolutely go off script. If if they say something that triggers the expertise I have in my head to where I have to say, okay, hey, tell me a little bit more about that. I might ask five, six, seven questions that are off script, but when I'm ready, I can jump right back to that and I can keep going. What also happens with this is when you have your questions pre-scripted, what it does is it gives you a start point and an end point. So so you're able to say, hey, that's great. I really appreciate you answering this. I just have a couple more. Is it, is it okay if we go through just a few more to make sure that I'm on the same page? So something I really believe in, and for the showrooms that I've seen adopt this, I'm telling you, it's a game changer versus a salesperson that's flying off the cuff. There's a, there's a company I'm thinking of that I was talking to one time about their sales process and they said, oh yeah, we have a process. And I was like, okay, like what's your, what's your process? And they said, well, you know, when customers come in, we, uh, we ask them a series of questions and I was like, okay, like what questions do you ask them? And they were like, oh, well we, we have them written down. And I was like, where? And literally there was like a clipboard that was in like the back corner of the showroom and it's clear it hadn't been used in five years, but that's where the questions were. And, and, And I was like, well, but here's the thing, like 
No one knows what those questions are. No one's ever looked at that clipboard. No one's ever pulled it out with a customer. So it doesn't matter that you wrote the questions down once if they're not being used. And, and that's the whole thing with the sales process with, with all of it is that it doesn't work if it's not used. And we need to make sure that like, as we're telling our team to take the time to understand the customer's problem, that we're coming alongside as a coach to actually practice with them and give them guidance and feedback. Because if you can train your team to stop trying to diagnose what's wrong and stop trying to educate the customer and instead get them to understand the customer's problem, something happens. When you tell your team, hey, I don't care what happens, just make sure you understand their problem. When you do that, I mean, something magical happens and all of a sudden you find that you've got a solution for them more often than not. So, you know, steps steps two and three of the sales process are really interconnected. And, and next week, I'm really excited for you to hear the guests that we have talking about step three, which is advise a solution. But but there's they're so interconnected, like Matt said, like there's a baton pass from step to step to step. If I don't take the time to understand the customer's problem, there's no way that I can advise a solution. I can, I can tell you about so many failures that I've had where I jump straight to a solution. Everything in us wants to take the bait. Hey, can you tell me about this wood stove? Oh, hey, I've been thinking about taking on your product line. Can you tell me about it? Oh, hey, we've been looking at Wi-Fi. Can you tell me about it? Everything in us wants to go, oh, I'll tell you all about it. Yeah, it's got this and this and this. And, you know, our, our chimney pipe or our, our, our fireplace line is the best. Or, oh my gosh, these wood stoves are so great. We, we can't take that bait. We got to be calm and collected and say, oh, that's, that's awesome. You've heard about this. You know, there's a lot of things that our wood stoves can do, but just to make sure that I, I show you what's going to be relevant for you, like, would you mind telling me a little bit about your, your home and your, and your situation? I'd, I'd, I'd love to start there to make sure that what I show you is going to be a good fit. And I, I'm telling you, like, if you phrase it in the right way, people will go for it. And, and you've probably heard me talk about this on the podcast before. This is my go-to phrase to be allowed to ask a customer questions on the floor. So I don't care how stingy your customer is. If they say, hey, we're looking at wood stoves. Can you show me some wood stoves? Here's what you say. Hey, that's, that's great you're looking at wood stoves. We, we have a bunch of wood stoves on display, as you can see. And not every wood stove is actually safe to go into every home application. So if it's okay, I'd love to just learn a little bit more about your project to make sure that I'm on the same page. And then I'd love to show you a wood stove that's a really good fit for your home. Would that be okay? No customer will say no to that. And you can just simply invite them to sit down. And 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 we didn't talk about this in, in this part of the podcast, but I'm telling you, for this step of the sales process, you have to sit down with your customers. You have to physically sit down, physically sit down. My friend, Jeff Reynolds, he says, you know, it's amazing how when customers sit down, their wallet falls out. And it's the truth. Like physically sit down to do this. It disarms the tension. It puts you and the customer on the same side to solve the problem. It's comfortable. They're not having their knees hurt or their back hurt. So yeah, if you can take the time to do that, to show empathy, to sit down with your customer and to ask them thoughtful questions, my goodness. I mean, you, you've got the chance of making a sale and, and gaining a, a really fruitful relationship for both of you guys. So I think there's a lot there to think about in, in this part of the sales process. Well, hey, if this podcast today was a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash it's fire time. And to those of you who contribute, we are so thankful. It, it, it means the world. We, we operate on a shoestring budget. 
And, and it's possible because of those of you who contribute. And if you're in a position where you can't or you're new to the podcast, that's totally fine. I mean, the fact that you're here and listening and, and, and you know, sharing it with, with your team or with other people, that, that means the world. And, and that's really, really helpful. So thanks a ton for being here. You know, this week as you go out, the season is just starting. And, and I want you to take the time to watch your team members on the sales floor this week. And I want you to observe, are they taking the time to understand the customer's problem before advising a solution or are they jumping straight to a solution? I'm not joking. In every single secret shopping experience I've had, every single one, I have never had a salesperson sit me down and say, hey, I'd love to hear a little bit about your project so I, I can make sure to understand what you have going on. Would you mind telling me a little bit about it? It's not happened. People don't do it. They're going too fast. They're quick to vomit out solutions rather than listening to understand what the customer has going on. If you can make that change, my goodness, like watch out because it's powerful. If you're a sales rep going in to call on dealers this week, don't go in with your solutions. Go in and understand their problems. And it's amazing how when you understand the customer's problem, you're able to advise a really good solution. So with all that said, I'm gonna sign off. I think we covered a lot today. I hope you guys got some value from it and we'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn. 